listener, and welcome to the Metacast Crypto Corners. I'm your host, Inklavereke, or Nico for short. And today I'm joined by Swactimus and Yoni9091. Don't even know if I have to say the numbers. And today we're talking about Matchbox DAO. Um, yeah. Let's um, let's go. So before we do that, let's let's do some interest first. So quickly about me. Um, my day job is um, investing in the intersection of blockchain and gaming at Bitcraft Ventures and, and Nexadats. Um, yeah, I also host the Metacast and talk about where blockchain meets games and all the exciting stuff that's happening. And uh, next up, we have Swactimus Prime. So Swactimus, tell us a bit more about yourself, sir. Sure. So I've been a member of the Ethereum community for um, three or four years now. Uh, I've been quite vocal about um, layer two and rollups and educating people on Twitter. And uh, since last November, I've been working for Starkware, which is a layer two um, developer for Starknet, uh, where I do some uh, community management and content writing. And I also run a weekly newsletter called Starknet Roundup, where I summarize um, all of the stuff that's going on in Starknet on a, on a uh, weekly basis. And then I awesome. got brought into Matchbox, and we're going to talk about that in a bit. Cool. Very good. How about you, Yoni? Uh, so I'm uh, in crypto, um, you know, um, like almost 10 years. I got into Bitcoin in 2012 and then uh, Ethereum pre-sale and, uh, you know, sucked into the rabbit hole. For the most part, I like to build more than I like to invest. So I, I was involved in a, a building of like about uh, five um, different projects. And, um, you know, obviously uh, investing all along, but it's mainly to... Uh, create and maintain relationships for people that I like, and not and, and not because I, you know, define myself as an investor. And then, like I, um, I saw the, um, uh, you know, I, I, I basically knew stock then uh, since 2017, uh, but but I, I only understood, you know, the uh, technological capabilities uh, recently, and that's why I decided to, uh, yeah, start Matchbox. All right, awesome. And you know what they say, right? Um, if you cannot do teach, and if you cannot build, invest. So I'm investing, and Yoni's like, screw the screw investing. I'm building. So uh, that says something about what we're what we're good at and what we can do. Mm. Um, so let let's dive in. Um, what is Matchbox DAO? Um, and Yoni, like, what is your role? Were you the, the sole founder of this, or do you have a couple of others that that worked with you to start it? Uh, so I don't look at it like a, like a founder because uh, it's a collective. So it's basically a collective that is owned and also uh, controlled by developers. So so the idea is to um, uh, you know create a group of developers that own everything that they are doing together and helping each other uh, with things that they need and and. Um, and specifically to um, build and advance the area of on-chain games uh, for uh, um, uh, on, on Starknet. And um, we can speak more why why on-chain games, but 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 basically, you know, the, the, the general structure is that we have like uh, established game developers that you know uh, have certain needs, uh, and, and then we have individuals that are onboarding to Starknet and have no idea like how to build and, and what to build, and then this group is helping them. Uh, with different ways, um, you know, to other Starknet uh, building process. Um, so, yeah. Interesting. So you try, and, and it, are you the only DAO who's working on something like this? What, can you like maybe quickly talk about the current 
like on-chain gaming ecosystem in Starknet? Um, are we talking thousand developers? Are we talking fifty developers who know how to do that? Way more. Um, like, what's the current status? And and is are is Matchbox now a front runner here, um, or was the situation there? I think I think it is, but but maybe Swag can speak a, a bit about like. You know why? You know what is on-chain uh, games in general, uh, and and why it's so special about it, and and then we can speak, you know, about the the space in particular. Sure. So uh, when we talk about on-chain games, um, we have to like distinguish between almost two eras of on-chain games. Um, the first era was on-chain games on layer one, and uh, maybe for the listeners, I need to quickly break down what's the difference between layer one and layer two and how it relates to on-chain gaming. So on layer one, you have a blockchain and you have thousands of nodes all across the world. And each node has to process every single transaction. That's the mechanism how a blockchain reaches consensus. So that's that's how it works on layer one. But on layer two, it's a bit different. On layer two, we have this concept called a rollup. And on a rollup, you only need one machine that processes the transactions. Um, and the reason why you only need one machine is because you can trust the computation of that machine because the transaction is accompanied by a validity proof, which proves that there's no fraud happening, there's no mischief, uh, everything is secure. And that's a game changer because on L1, on layer one, um, you can't really put the game logic itself on chain because it's way too expensive because all of these nodes around the globe have to process it and, and that's way too computationally intensive um, for that. But on layer two, mm -hmm. you can have actually um, strong machines, strong servers, uh, do the computation and it still works and it's still secure. And that's the reason why you can put the game logic on chain, um, which is a game changer. Because um, if you look at Bitcoin, Bitcoin took trust out of digital assets, but uh, something like Starknet can put trust out of uh, the game developer's hands. Like you can, um, you can rest assured that the game logic that you're using, that the game you're playing, that the rules can't be changed on you because it's all on-chain. It's all immutable, right? And so that's mm -hmm. that's the special thing about on-chain gaming on layer two. Okay. So if I understand it correctly, um, we've been on the podcast talking about on-chain gaming a few times. Um, layer two makes transactions faster. Um, also cheaper um, and speeds up compu computation, which means that um, for that reason, you know, there's more stuff that can happen on the blockchain. If as a developer, you want to build an on-chain game where the whole game backend lives on the blockchain, on layer one, like Ethereum, it's too expensive. And so that's why you have layer twos that use this zero knowledge technology to speed and things up and make things less expensive uh, yeah less expensive is that is that is that correct yes that, that's that's quite accurate um, okay yep okay um does this zero knowledge roll-up technology also bring other things it, like th does it change the things that you can do um for example there, there is a game called dark forest that actually uses zero knowledge as part of the game itself like are there things you can build mm -hmm. on zero knowledge rollups that you couldn't mm -hmm. build on a layer one yes do you want to take it Juni? um yeah uh, i mean but if you prefer you can take it uh you you can take it for now <laughs> Okay, so I think uh, on-chain games can um, like when computation is 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 cheap, and uh, you can do a, a band computation on chain. You basically have 
three things that that are unique. So um, um, two of them about scalability and one of them about privacy. So so um, so 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 one of the thing is 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 composability because all of the game is is on chain. So the game is eventually a smart contract. So the same way as uh, as DeFi. Um, you know, it's so, so compo- uh, composable and progress so fast is is because a lot of developers can take the code of other developers and do something else with it. So with games, it's currently not the case. A lot of games are building um, games that are, um, you know, f- like complete application. And when you have a complete application, it's not leaving any room for a new developers to develop on top of or a new developer to take what you, what someone built and use it. And so I feel that with on-chain games, it's it's composable, and uh, and and a lot of developers can use existing code in order to build new types of applications. Um, so that's one thing that is possible with on-chain games is not possible um, with the you know um, closed source and and things that are on the server. Before you continue, Yoni, just just so so I can understand this, um, would it be fair to characterize characterize what you just explained as? Lego blocks, mm-hmm. where a part of the game, and this could be character progression, this could be um, a skill tree, becomes like a Lego block that others can then use to implement in their own games, mm-hmm. and that way, you know, you speed up game development. Is that, is that fair? Mm. For sure, that's exactly what we're doing with the Matchbox. We are taking advantage of this a uh, composability element of on-chain games in order to speed up the development for new developers, like in. Like for new developers that want to create a game, it can create a game like very easy by developing the additional 10% of what he wants to uh, repurpose the application for. And it doesn't need to uh, in, you know, cre- create all the infrastructure all over again. The same thing that is happening right now with DeFi. Like if, if someone is creating an AMM, a lot of people can use this AMM for creating an insurance uh, AMM, creating like an option AMM, creating um, an AMM that is leveraged, creating... A lot of the things out of the same primitive. Uh, so the same way that is happening in DeFi, that, that the same thing will happen with games. So, so this is one. And then the second thing, which is also very, very, uh, you know, like revolutionary, is taking the trust out of the equation. So, you know, Bitcoin is, 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 is doing to digital assets. Um, um, uh, so, so on-chain games doing to games what Bitcoin is doing to digital assets. It's taking the trust out of something that uh, used to be trustful. So, um, um, at the moment, like a lot of blockchain games are, um, you know, we trust the game developer because he is telling us who won. He's telling us who who, who lose and and these kinds of things. And and then with the when the computation is on-chain, when the logic is on-chain. Then you don't need to trust anyone, and and that's a you know very big thing. And then you can build things that are not possible that were not possible before. And then the third thing is anonymity. So um, you can also use uh, the, the the zk characteristics in order to create like a hidden information. Uh, mm-hmm. So a lot of physical games are not possible today uh, on blockchain because. You don't have a way to hide the information. For example, mm-hmm. if if me and you are playing poker and everything is on chain, then everyone knows uh, the state of the game and everyone knows your hands, my hands. So you need a way to hide those characteristics, and that's another use case uh, for you know, zk particularly. 
Okay. So if I understand correctly to your last point, um, uh, like a poker-like game where information is important um, and hiding information is important would not be possible on Ethereum layer, layer one. At the moment, yeah. Yeah, yeah. that's interesting. Um, Swag, any, anything to add on top of that? Like w w what, w what excites you most about this, you know, um, on-chain games and, and zero-knowledge on-chain games in particular? Yeah, I think uh, the composability stuff is, is super important because um, if, if you paid any attention to DeFi over the last two years, we had this this huge explosion in DeFi summer of 2020, right? Where protocols um, used other protocols as building blocks and then you got all this composability stuff and you could do so much so many things with all these tokens and and standards and uh, and that's that's something that's going to happen to on-chain games 100%. And um, you can do so much. You can do NFT interoperability standards. You can you can do standards for attributes of characters, um, skill trees, all that kind of stuff. And just to add uh, to to some of the zk stuff that's uniquely enabled, um, we've had someone come into Matchbox uh, a few days ago who is building an info an imperfect information protocol. And imperfect information means that not all the information is known to every participant, right? Like uh, Yoni just explained in this poker example. And um, going further with that, what you can do is, um, for example, you can build a game where you have different fighter characters and these fighters have different attributes. So uh, there may be attributes of speed, strength, um, agility, for example. Um, but these attributes, um, so, so these attributes are on NFTs but you don't actually see the information on the N NFTs. So it's hidden uh, with CK Tech. And so what this creates is like a very dynamic um, game where people um, uh, have, have their fighters compete, but they don't actually know the attributes for sure. So they have to determine um, based on the battle results, okay, my character maybe is good in speed or maybe he's good in strength. And then you can have uh, an in-game economy around these characters, which... Um, which also leads to like uh, a vibrant in-game economy because people mm. will speculate, okay, is this fighter good? Is this fighter good? Maybe I want to buy this fighter. And and you can imagine how that can take like a life of its own and 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 what kind of cool games you can create with that concept. That's fascinating. Yeah, you would have to look at the fighting history that is on chain to determine what that fighter is actually good at. Exactly. Uh, yeah, that's really fascinating. Um, and so you talked about a bunch of primitives um, that you are building or working on. And so these are the foundational Lego blocks that then game developers could potentially use within their games, right? Um, and maybe later we can go into that. Uh, but before we do, uh, we just talked about some of the advantages that building on a zero knowledge layer two has um, compared to building on a layer one. Is there also things that you cannot do on a layer two? Things that are that that um, that like a zero knowledge layer two uh, is limited by. Um, Swag, you, you may want to answer this one. Um, not really. I mean, there's there's obviously always like a limit to scalability, right? Um, you can't have infinite scalability, but yes. um, this limit is is so far out of reach right now. You you can we can do a whole lot before we even come close to reaching this limit. Um, but maybe maybe an interesting edge case um, on Starknet is um, because you have to prove the validity of transactions, you cannot prove invalid transactions, right? So there's this edge case where you can have some transactions that are not provable, so they can't be executed. And that's something the uh, Starknet developers are working on, um, kind of fixing or, or working around 
Um, but but like I mentioned, this is an edge case. Like it's not it's not super important. It's not mm. going to come up all the time. But it's something that that needs to be like ironed out. Okay, I'm uh, I'm going to be honest here. I don't know exactly what the implications of that are, but um, it's still interesting to know that there are there are limitations. And so, just so I I'm, I'm clear on this, it feels like building on Starknet is from a technical point of view almost strictly better than building on layer one. It's faster, it's cheaper. Um, there are things that you can do that you couldn't do on layer one. Um, but I guess then there are also a bunch of downsides which might not be technical, like for example, um, the building blocks that are already there, um, the community that is you know, on layer one, but not on this, this new technology. Um, what are some more of the downsides that you see right now and that perhaps you're working on with, with Matchbox? Um. I think I think um, beyond what you mentioned, there aren't that many downsides. Um, of course, um, for starting specifically, you have this uh, new programming language called Cairo, which is um, probably a bit challenging to get into. Um, but um, apart from that, um, it's it's not too bad, um, and it's actually it's actually like great because um, Cairo is like tailored for zk stuff, right? So um, you need like a language that is that is really that can really make use of of this new technology. Because if you just used um, solid solidity on a zk rollup, solid solidity is not optimized for zk stuff, right? So you need an, <laughs> a, a new language to to really take advantage um, of of this powerful environment. Is there a sorry to interrupt you, Oni? Um, is there a non so a non-blockchain language out there that is already being used that is very similar to Cairo, where you could say like, oh, if you're a Rust developer, um, making the transition to Cairo is actually like pretty easy because it's very similar. Um, I, I'm not sure about that. I think um, I think Cairo shares some similarities with functional programming languages like um, Haskell, maybe, but uh, there aren't that many Haskell devs. But um, <laughs> Um, I, I don't think it's it's too hard to get into. Like if you have solidity experience um, and you 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 understand CK stuff, then I think it's it's uh, it's very doable. Mm -hmm. uh, so something that I will add is that that the disadvantages um, is basically the same disadvantages in in any zero to one technology. So if you if you look like you know like uh, cars and horses, you know like. So, so, so any other thing, so, so, so in blockchain, we were used to, you know, EVM, um, for, for many years, you know, since Ethereum started, then you don't see many zero to one, uh, innovation, uh, since then, like a lot of the things are folks with a little tweaks and, um, and because talent is completely different, it's, 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 um, it's have, you know, like. Like challenges in, in adoption, but I think that those challenges are actually a huge advantage because it attracts an insane uh, caliber of people. Like we're, like every day we are speaking with uh, people with uh, you know math background, uh, research background, and only um, you know, graduates from Harvard, graduates from Stanford, and, and and really like very high quality people that want to work with us. And you don't see this caliber of people. I mean, obviously, it exists, but 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 not in the same ratio. Like most people that are coming as developers to Starknet are very very high caliber, and uh, this is because it's hard, you know. So, I think that it's interesting to see that the disadvantage creates, um, a, a, you know, it acts as a filter um, almost. Mm. Isn't that also a curse as well? Because 
you know, I've, I've a few days ago, I, I tried to make the case um, with the concept of composability where, you know, everything that you make, if let's say if you're building an RPG and you build a marketplace on chain, um, like if someone else is also building an RPG, they can basically fork your marketplace, use that code in, within their game. And so essentially the more people you have building within an ecosystem, the more of these Lego blocks get developed, the more tools you give to others to also use those to build. Um, are you not concerned that um, Starkware will never reach uh, that tipping tipping point where there is like such a thriving ecosystem that others, you know, can really quickly come in? Um, and if you think that will happen, how long do you think it will take before we reach a point where you know your average developer that not that's not maybe a math PhD can actually <laughs> come in and build some some interesting stuff? I I would like to answer this. Um... So uh, for Cairo, it, it's certainly true that it acts kind of like a filter for for people. So only really um, hands-on people that that have rich dev experience um, um, can kind of come in and, and build with Cairo. But something that uh, I haven't mentioned yet is that uh, Starkware also has something called Warp, and Warp is a solidity to Cairo transpiler. So you can actually use your existing solidity code from layer one and plug it into the transpiler and it works out of the box on uh, on Starknet. So you can have the full um, solidity ecosystem on Starknet without having to deal with Cairo at all. So um, I'm not worried at all about uh, Starknet like reaching escape velocity, um, quite the opposite, because you have, you have uh, all of the stuff from layer one, essentially, plus you have... Um, these amazing new depths with all these new capabilities, with all the ZK stuff, with with all the um, super smart people working on uh, physical calculations on chain and, and stuff like that. So I'm not worried at all. And in terms of um, a time frame for, like I don't know um, what exactly you were asking about, but I think it was um, let, let's just call it escape velocity for Starknet. Um, I think um, we're going to see Starknet really hit. Um, escape velocity within a year because um, there's so much going on. Like uh, just recently we had uh, the first Starknet node released so you can trustlessly um, check um, the state of Starknet. Uh, then we have a lot of dev tooling being built. Like I, I can't actually keep up with with uh, how many how many things um, people actually like come up with and... and uh, oh yeah, I'm muted. And, uh, and so I'm, I'm really not worried at all. Um, it's it's just amazing to see all these smart people come together and, and build all the stuff. Um, it makes me sometimes feel very stupid in comparison. <laughs> hey, you're, at least you're not a podcast host getting smarter people than yourself on and uh, asking all the stupid questions. So I think you're fine. <laughs> um, do you see a world where um, at some point there is like a Unity style development environment for Starknet, um, where, you know, there's maybe like a lot of no-code possibilities as well, where you can like very easily build stuff really fast? Yeah, um, that's quite possible. Um, it's actually something that uh, that's one of our working groups is tackling. Um, we're, we're trying to build a, a .NET SDK for Starknet, which means, um, so, so usually um, um, blockchain games, um, Need some so, so blockchain games need some kind of connection to a wallet, right? And uh, usually in blockchain games, this was done via the browser, like browser extensions. But um, if you want to develop your game in Unity, then of course you need like a direct connection and not not via some uh, browser connection. So that's what you need the .NET SDK for, and uh, that's something that uh, one of our working groups is uh, tackling, and uh, we're very excited about that. 
Fascinating. Before we go into kind of some of the different working groups you have within Matchbox DAO, I'm curious, um, you know, from a maybe capitalist perspective, like, is are, are you guys running Matchbox DAO pure out of the good of your heart and out of um, the drive to want to grow the Starknet gaming ecosystem? Um, or is there any other, you know, financial incentive behind this where you might be able to profit from this in a more direct way than just from the ecosystem growing? So, um, I, will, uh, I will answer. So, I think, in, you know, like, it goes hand in hand because I think ownership and value capture in what you are building is not uh, contradicting to, you know, want to do good things. Like, like if you are uh, able to, um, um, you know, create something with value and capture some of this value, it's it's helping the thing to live longer and to do greater things and to, to um, enable it to influence more people. So I think it's actually going, you know, hand in hand. And... Um, and the idea of giving ownership to, to, to developers is, is important. So it's so it's also important for the thing that you are giving ownership uh, to be valuable. And uh, particularly, like like right now, the, the business model that Matchbox uh, have is basically we have, like I said, two types of developers. So it's almost like an accelerator model where um, our established game developers are helping um, the the fellows. So we have a, something called fellow program, which is individual developers that are coming on board, getting six months uh, grant, and then like if um, after the six months or three months, a product is uh, uh, you know was developed uh, as a result, uh, then then we can invest in it in a, a relatively uh, lower cap than 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 the market um, you know like than the usual. Um, cap, we as Matchbox get the right to invest in our uh, fellows in case they are interested in becoming uh, companies. And so in, in that way, we are um, um, capturing some of the value that we are creating for those people. And then what is the value is basically obviously the grant, but but also we have like a, an internal team that is helping developing the product. So we hire like three front-end developers because most of Cairo uh, builders needs frontend and and also like a mentorship um which is a weekly you know follow-ups uh, about like, like how to build um the game or or the primitive that they are building uh, from our, our 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 members that that are also interested in in you know progressing their ecosystem and uh, and, and building using their own uh, primitives and on, on their products so everyone is getting um uh, you know what they want personally, but in doing so, they are also serving um, the other side. So this is their model. Makes sense. Makes sense. Now let's take a step into some of the working groups you discussed earlier, um, and some of the Lego blocks. I keep referring to Lego blocks; it just makes sense in my head um, that you are working on. Um, Swag, what is for you? Um, like, what? Which one of the Lego blocks would you like to see done, completed? first do you think is, is really important um, and could you elaborate a bit uh, more about what it's actually working on? Sure. So I think um, one of the most important things is to actually um, create um, NFT standards because um, 
there's just so much potential there, right? You you can do so much with with some proper standards uh, for for games that use NFTs, and the potential there is is nearly untapped right now. Um, but it's also kind of difficult because you you actually need some games to exist before you can really think about um, NFT standards it, themselves, which which makes sense, right? You need to know what what the games look like before you can actually um, try and and standardize uh, around them. Um, but uh, to to get into some some different things. Um, I don't know if you know um, O-Game. It's like a browser game from the 2000s, which was super successful. It's like a, a space MMO where you can fly your ship and uh, mine resources and fight other players and trade in an in-game economy. It's like one of the most successful browser games of all time, I think. And uh, someone is actually building this on StarkNet. And and that's like my personal um, thing that I'm super excited about. Um, but something else that that maybe um, is is super. Before you continue, yeah. Sorry, Swag. But yeah, because I, I'd like to just touch upon what you said before uh, the the standards. Um, so you're talking about game specific NFT standards, or are we talking about um, like the ERC seven twenty one or the ERC eleven fifty five standards that you already have on layer one um, that are you know NFT standards? Um, like, could you go a bit deeper on in what kind of standards you, you you're talking about? Is this like the, the base layer, or or is it more advanced um, NFT standards? Uh, it's both, yeah. Okay. Um, because, uh, for example, ERC721, I think, is is not a very loved as a standard. Like, it's widely used, but it's not it's not a perfect standard. Like, you, you can improve on it in, in a number of ways. Um, but, but at the same time, we can also do, like, game-specific standards, right? Because if we have all these um, new blockchain games popping up uh, that use NFTs in some way or another, then we can standardize around that, right? Mm -hmm. We can have a standard for attributes. We can have a standard for skins. We can have a, st a standard for I don't know weapons, um, guns, weapons, yeah. uh, armor, trinkets, items in general. Uh, so there's a lot of potential there. Okay, I like that these things are being built in a decentralized way, not necessarily like for one game and then hope. Uh, one of the reasons why I'm so excited about interoperability standards, blockchain based, is that. You know, right now, every let's talk about guns. Every single first-person shooter um, has different a different definition of what a gun is. Right? Is there a bullet drop or not? Um, ammo capacity, like it's all defined in, in slightly different ways. Um, and I think if we're ever moving towards a interoperable future where I can take my gun from one game into another, I think that's going to have to be built from the ground up and not like you know Call of Duty deciding how all guns are going to be decided uh, and defined. So. Sorry, that's um, that's me being excited about this and, and what you're building. So, uh, Swag, you were you were going to mention another uh, things that, that excite you that uh, Matchbox DAO is working on. Yes, absolutely. And uh, and this uh, primitive is called Solve to Mint. Uh, it's a framework for NFT emission, and I I will try to explain what it's all about. Um, so, if you think about NFT drops uh, these days, like specifically um, all these profile picture NFTs, uh, the way it works is usually that there's a uh, a mint, a public sale, a public mint with a predetermined fixed supply. Like you have like ten thousand NFTs, and uh, first come, first serve, whoever gets to mint them gets a random NFT, right? And uh, what Soft to Mint does is um, basically um, a different way to to do these kind of um, mints. And so how it works is that um, you don't have like profile pictures as NFTs, but you have a puzzle and you have to submit a solution to that puzzle. And so if you submit a correct solution, then you own that solution as an NFT. So it's like a, a one of one NFT with that solution. And you can do a lot of stuff with that, right? You can... Um, 
you can do like um, a puzzle with in, involving like orbit, orbital mechanics or, or planetary motion, which is something that uh, Guilty Gyoza is uh, very interested in. He's like one of the big brains uh, building on Starknet. Um, but if, he, if we spin this further um, and, and think ahead, then um, something we're all familiar with is, for example, Angry Birds, right? Where you have this almost kind of puzzle where you have to um, determine the speed and angle at which you have to throw your bird to, to kill the enemies and the structures. And uh, if we spin the soft min concept further, you can actually have like Angry Bird-like puzzles and then have people submit solutions. And if the solution is correct and you kill the enemies, then you can mint that solution as an NFT. And so, so that's really cool. And uh, the way we're currently doing this is kind of as a um, Cairo dev onboarding um, experience where we, we try to um, create puzzles that are interesting for Cairo devs uh, to, to, uh, to let them figure out different um, equations and solutions to these puzzles, with, which, act, which acts like kind of a natural onboarding process for, for Cairo devs. And, and, um, and it, of course, it creates like some excitement and hype because you can own your solution and you can like brag about it and show it off uh, and also sell it on NFT marketplaces if you want to. And, and so that's something we're working on. I can add, I can add something about all of our um, primitives uh, that is interesting in general for, you know, ancient games is that, um, you know, every primitive can also be a game and can also be a platform and can also be a component. So, for example, the soft to mint is basically, um, you know, like a game that generates puzzles. Mm -hmm. So uh, it's almost like, you know, Wordle, um, a application, but that gives, um, you know, like a NFT as a, as, a, as a price. So you can do it as a standalone application for creating puzzles, like a platform for puzzles. And you can also do it, um, you know, like Swag mentioned, as a piece inside of something like Angry Birds or something like um, another game as a way to onboard users. And, or, uh, and, and, uh, and you can also do it as a, as a specific you know, puzzle, um, like we are doing for different purposes. So we are doing it to onboard Cairo developers, but, but could be done in, in, in many other ways. And you know, th the same goes for other things, like um, um, for example, um, the procedural word generation. Procedural word generation is basically a game that looks like Minecraft. So we are creating a Minecraft for Cairo, but it can also be um, a way to generate uh, maps. So other games can use those uh, maps uh, to build another type of game. Um, so yeah, every every component can can also be a game by itself. And we are intend intending to release each of those uh, primitives as you know standalone applications that that work as as games and then like um generalize them that's awesome i um i really like the example of having puzzle challenges that teach people how to code i re i remember myself i learned how to code a few years back and uh, there's this website called code wars that basically gives you like a little coding challenge once, once one a day or something. Um, and I remember like spending so many hours solving these, they were called katas. Um, that was really fun and a really good way to learn. It's like game, gamified learning. So it all makes a lot of sense. Um, is there like a, like one central place where all of your solutions um, or your primitives that you're building live? Like, uh, let's say that um, I, I, I'm, I'm building a company where uh, we want to make an on-chain game and we're interested in building it on Starknet. Um, 
where can I find what, what like the tooling that, that you're building with Matchbox DAO? So uh, we so most of the discussions happen on Discord. We have like channels for the different working groups to to catch up and uh, discuss because um, you need this this kind of place for devs to come in and discuss, right? Because there, there's a lot of devs and all of them have like different ideas and uh, approaches, and uh, it, it's it's great uh, to have like a place where all of them can discuss and and there's like there's there's so great discussions really. It's it's amazing to see. Uh, so that's on our Discord. Um, then we have uh, then we have uh, notion pages where we summarize the status of the different uh, working groups and who is participating and uh, who's doing what and the progress uh, and all of that stuff and on discord we also host like weekly developer calls and community calls where we um, have developers come in and give updates on what they're doing what we're working on uh, and people can discuss in these calls uh, they're also recorded and, and uploaded so you can watch them whenever and uh, but that's basically how we are currently structuring it. But we are also definitely planning on like uh, improving it, maybe um, with having a a, a dedicated uh, product manager who who's really um, on top of things and, and can structureize everything um, even better. Yeah, hundred um, percent. One last thing I'd like to have your takes on is um, verifiable random functions. Um, could you talk a bit about the problem with randomness on chain um, and how you're looking to potentially solve that? Because I, I heard that this is like this is not self-evident. Yeah, so BRF is kind of uh, complicated because you can take like different approaches to it, and uh, they all come with like different trade-offs, I guess. Um, so you can have uh, like the optimal case is to have a verifiable random function directly on chain. So there's like no um, potential for like any errors or any like any bad stuff to happen because it's on chain, it's immutable, and and that's that. But um, so that's quite challenging to implement, obviously. Um, but um, why, because, why obviously? Um, because you can you can take like different approaches to it. For example, you can you can use um, the hashes of block headers, but um, it's not hundred percent random because you can um, kind of um like you can guess um you can um i don't know what the word is you can like defer from past block headers headers um what's like um a certain small chance of what's going to come next so it's not 100% random and so that's kind of an issue and there's different approaches to to like fixing that and there's also like the approach of having like an, an a separate off-chain network that's simply there for um for VRF, uh, it's called uh, DRAND, I think, uh, and and that's like um, our first um, step to have VRF on Starknet, um, because um, as a game dev, you need like um, some kind of some kind of um, uh, source for for verifiable random uh, numbers, because uh, obviously mm -hmm. a lot mm -hmm. of game stuff involves like random chances and, and stuff like that, and so we're we're trying to get that uh, with DRAND for now, and um, but of course with a longer term. Uh, view to to having it directly uh, on chain on Starknet. Fascinating. I remember playing Hearthstone a few years ago and praying to RNG Jesus whenever I I, I threw a card uh, that had some some kind of randomness attached to it, which were a lot of cards. To be fair, that game was uh, a bit of a mess in that regard. Um, but um, yeah, RNG is important, and not being able to, or at least having something that is truly random. Um, yeah, is essential for for good games. Um, this was really really interesting, guys. I think um, I think a lot of listeners were not 
you know, deep into the blockchain space or like, what the hell did I just listen to? Um, a lot of for us to digest. If people want to learn more and are interested, where can they find you guys personally? So Swag, you're, where do you hang around, sir? Uh, I'm mostly on Twitter. Uh, okay. I'm called swagtimus.eve. Uh, you can find me there. Find me there, and uh, I spend like most of my time uh, just talking about rollups layer two, uh, all the developments, keeping up with the ecosystem. Uh, mm -hmm. So you can find my hot takes on Twitter. Nice. And and what was your um what was your email newsletter again? Uh, it's uh it's called Starknet Roundup. It's in my Twitter okay. bio. Um, okay. It's on Substack. All right. And how about you, Yoni? Uh, I am also on Twitter, uh, but I think mostly active on Discord, actually. Um, it's YBS um, underscore ETH. All right. And um, Matchbox, like what, what is the, the Twitter handle of Matchbox? It's uh, at Matchbox underscore DAO, I think. And then from there, you can join the Discord if you're interested in this and come hang out with the other geniuses that are working because it feels like, you know, whoever is actually building stuff on Starknet um, is at least a math PhD because um, <laughs> otherwise it might be too hard. Um, cool. Well, I mean, this this was really interesting, guys. Uh, thank you so much for your time. Um, I, I know you guys are still early with what you're building and I feel like uh, in a few months we can do this again um, and marvel at the amazing things that you have built and that others have built using the primitives that you supplied. So with that, um, thank you so much for joining. Uh, listeners, thanks for listening. Um, you know, give these, these guys a follow. If you're smart and you like a challenge and you, this all of the stuff that we discussed excites you, you know, building your own Lego block and having that's like used for some amazing gaming experiences. Um, yeah, feel free to um, follow them, join them. And um, with that, the Metacast is out and we look forward to speaking to you in the next episode. Cheers. Cheers.